Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. And, and you get rewarded for that too, I think, by society. So people go, oh, you guys are handling it so well. You're doing so well. You've got such a good separation. You know, having the good separation is seen as a good thing. So you're like, okay, I gotta, I just got to keep busy. I've got to do this. I've got to, you know, put food on the table. And, and, and when you're doing that, you're not processing what's mm. going on. Here we are, lovely people. That was a clip from Rachel Layton. This Naked Mind coach of the Aussie contingent sharing some of her story and we're going to talk about grey area drinking, the grey area drinking spectrum, how a big life event can suddenly push us further along the spectrum without us really even knowing and how this can just happen kind of insidiously and creep up on us over time. So make sure you tune in. Really, really great conversation. We are so, so grateful for all the amazing things that are happening in the community and the reviews that you're leaving. There's so much love around what we're doing and there's so much love right back at you. There's, we've got live Q&As coming up soon. We've got a bank of old live Q&As. So if you want to find the answers to some questions you've got to have, then that's a great place to look. And the reviews are just so great, guys. It's so, so lovely to, to see them coming in. And I just wanted to share one with you from last week or this week. So I'm a podcast subscriber and a big fan of Sam and Ellie. Today I listened to the interview with Susan Joy. It was powerful and intense. As a mum and former grey area drinker, this really hit home for me. I feel like everyone who thinks they're just participating in mummy wine culture should hear her story. Thanks for sharing an important story and thank you to Susan for your bravery. I hope you find a way to bring your work into the prison system for women. I think it's so important. What a wonderful reflection and it's really meaningful and, and they all are they're all so lovely to see and to for me and Ellie to read and we really appreciate them so if you feel like if you feel called please do go and leave us a review it helps people find us and if they're if they're episode specific that's brilliant it's so cool because it it really shows people just how um how tuned in you are you are as listeners which we know you are okay without further ado I'll hand you over to me Rachel and Ellie see you there Happy Tuesday, lovely people. We've got a very special treat for you today. We've got Rachel Layton with us, who is not only a fellow TNM coach, but she's also an Aussie from across the pond. So it's currently, uh, well, not quite bedtime, but pretty much bedtime for her and uh, pretty much wake up time for me and Ellie. So, <laughs> hey, Rachel, thanks for, thanks for coming along. Oh, thanks for having me, Sam and Ellie. It's so lovely to see you both. And it's so lovely to be able to connect like this. It doesn't matter if it's morning, afternoon. Yeah. yeah whatever so it's great yeah it's Ellie, awesome but thanks for the time check sam it's all good <laughs> thanks i mean for the I, reminder I just, of what time I, of day I, is i felt compelled you got a whole day ahead <laughs> i felt compelled to uh, to mention it i don't know well why. do you know what it is um the thing that is amazing in in this sort of new world where we're we're spending lots of time on zoom and have been for the last couple of years like it's it's a wondrous thing to be able to connect with yeah. people in a way that we wouldn't ordinarily and it it never um, you know I, it, it never gets old the fact that like I had a meeting this morning with Australia, um, yeah. and it's like you know I was like oh what, what are, you, are you off surfing now? And he's like yeah yeah I'm off. And like oh wow cool yeah like I'm struggling to string a sentence together because I've just woken up. <laughs> yeah, it's, cool. um, it's it's awesome. So thank you for joining us, Rachel. 
Yeah, you're welcome, Ellie. Yeah. Right. So we were just saying, Rachel, there's so many, you know, we know, um, so, you know, you're a TNM coach. We know the work you do and you've got loads of time to expand on that today. But um, we were talking about, you know, your time in um, communications and corporate, but that you also your journey with alcohol and journalism and all these things, all these really exciting things. So I don't know where it makes sense to start, but wherever that place is, you go for it. We're really, uh, we just want to hear about you and your story and uh, what brings you here today. Great. Okay. Um, I guess my story is just typical. Um, every country I find, or not every country, but a lot of people say, oh, us Aussies, we're big drinkers. You know, people from the UK will go, yeah, we're big drinkers over The Irish will say that, you know, people from the States. And it's, it's so funny because we all go, yes, it's our culture. We're big drinkers. Um, but Australians are a bit known for being big drinkers. Um, and drinking was just I mean, I started when I was at high school, I guess. I don't remember my first drink. Lots of people do. I just, I don't remember being a big boozer, but I did, you know, drink then. And um, and I guess when I left school, it just was a given. It wasn't, you know, whether or not you would drink. It's just that you would, you know, that, that was the thing. And for me, I grew up thinking it's just that the only reasons you wouldn't drink were if you um, had a cultural or religious background where you didn't drink. Um, when you were pregnant um, and if you had an alcohol problem if you were an alcoholic and couldn't drink so it just wasn't a question so and it wasn't an issue either so um, I'd go out and you'd feel sick and I remember lying on the bed as you know I'd left school by then and you'd have a big night out and you'd lie on the bed and go I wish this room would just stop spinning you know that type of thing and um, and you'd have a hangover and you'd have the greasy um a meal the next day and then you just go back into it and um and get through it so it wasn't an issue because that's how everybody drank and that was going out and having a good time and then I actually um so when I left school I worked I was studying as well I I went to uni but I did a part-time because I all I wanted to do was travel and so I saved up and I went to your neck of the woods. So I went to the UK and I lived in London and the Aussie, you know, living in London thing. And because I was born in England, I could stay there for a bit longer. So I actually um, stayed for four and a half years with my um, oh. partner. And um, we, we did the backpacking thing. I went to the US and did some nannying there. I, we travelled <clears throat> and lived there, excuse me, um, and that, you know, speaking of big drinking cultures, I lived in London, pub on every corner, you'd get our um, knock off work, you'd go to a wine bar or the pub. Um, we had our pub for work, that was our local pub. And that's just where you bonded. And I was um, new in a country making new friends. And that was the way you bonded. So those sorts of early beginnings I guess with alcohol just embedded it in my head that you know to socialize and it's not even a conscious thing you know to socialize that's what you do everything you do um, to make friends to go out to even traveling you know you have a drink or lots of drinks at the end of the day when you're when you're backpacking um, you find the local pub or you know wherever and and party on so um and it was fun then as I said you know you'd wake up the next day hungover but I, you never questioned it and I would argue that I was probably a bigger drinker then than I was before I, I stopped drinking 
to be honest. Um, and I smoked as well. So in my early 20s, I was so unhealthy. I remember, you know, backpacking and walking up this hill and just being so out of breath because I was a smoker, I was a drinker. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm in my early 20s. And I feel like some, you know, 90-year-old. I wasn't, I was fit I guess but I was um, a healthy weight and everything but very unhealthy lifestyle but you can get away with it in your early 20s I think so um, anyway I um, came back to Australia and did a complete 180 with my life I was with my partner that time during that time traveled and we had children so I've got two sons and I was in my mid-20s so we decided to come back we had built a house we moved to the suburbs we had two kids I didn't well I didn't drink because I was pregnant and then breastfeeding and it just wasn't it was before the mummy wine culture as if the mummy wine culture you know started at a certain date or whatever but I think nowadays with social media, it's become more prevalent because it's marketed in that way. You know, it's five o'clock, it's wine o'clock type thing. You need a break, all that sort of stuff. That wasn't so, my oldest now is 28. So I had him in my in the mid nineties and that certainly in my circle of friends, that wasn't a thing. So I just didn't, it wasn't that I didn't drink. I just didn't drink a lot. And because I had small children, I just didn't want to wake up the next day to two toddlers with a, you know, banging headache or whatever. So I went from this partying, traveling, living overseas lifestyle to coming back, settling down, living in the suburbs. It was quite a a change. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that flip of the switch, um, just totally changed the way I drank as well. I gave up smoking, obviously, too, when I was pregnant, and that stuck for me. So I just completely changed. And it was only um, so when my children, fast track a little bit, um, my children were six and four, and my partner and I um, separated after 13 years together doing, you know, we met when I was very young, I was 18, when we started going out, um, had to, you know, travelled, had two children together, all those things. And um, and that because they were so young, um, they, it, it, it was such a, I mean, it's a difficult time, whatever age they are. But I remember uh, we had a joint parenting arrangement, which means, you know, half and half basically. And I remember always thinking, you've got to put on, you know, the bright face, the happy face for your kids. You know, the kids can't suffer through this. They can't know that this is an upsetting thing. So I put on this facade almost for them. And then that became my facade for everyone else. But I have distinct memories of putting them in the car of their dads um, for them to go away for a few days to be with him and me just heartbroken inside. And walking back into the house, which it was a rental house, I'd moved away from him, you know, so all this, you know, um, upset and change and whatever, but it's all internal because you have to put on the happy face. You've got to say to the kids, and they were so upset. And I'm like, you're okay, you're okay. And I, wa- I remember walking through the house, and this was just not one time, this was, this was my pattern, and grabbing a bottle of wine and grabbing cigarettes because I went back to smoking then because they were my two crutches mm-hmm. and sitting out the back and crying with this glass of wine that became two, became three, became four um, and smoking. And 
And I think um, this is only figured out in hindsight because you do a lot of work, as you both know, when you when you stop drinking. But I think that was the start of me making that connection between this being the crutch, this being the the solution, if you will. And um, and, and as I say, this took a lot of unravelling. And even then, I didn't drink a lot, um, which sounds funny because I did to to um, cope with that situation but I um, when I was a single mum and I was on um, that's when I was working as a journalist and I journalists don't get paid a lot Um, so I wasn't paid well Um, I was living week to week basically I had these two kids you just get on with it it's one of those things where you just get on with it which was I always said a blessing at the time but it also means that any of that pain or dealing with it, you just pack it to the side. You put it in a little box, you tie it up, you, you know, drink to sort of numb all of that and you just um, sideline that for another day. So, um, and, and you get rewarded for that too, I think, by society. So people go, oh, you guys are handling it so well. You're doing so well. You've got such a good separation. You know, having the good separation is seen as a good thing. So you're like, okay, I gotta, I just got to keep busy. I've got to do this. I've got to, you know, put food on the table. And, and, and when you're doing that, you're not processing what's mm. going on. Yeah. So the, I think, you know, and, and this has taken work and this is a lot of hindsight, but I think that's when that switch was turned on. Um, so then, but as I said, you know, having two young kids, not having a lot of money, I couldn't, you know, I, I still couldn't drink um, at a level that I probably would probably have wanted to, <laughs> but um, I just couldn't. So um, I it was kind of steady, although I was turning to it for different reasons than I was in my younger partying times. Um, and as they got older, I met um, uh, my new partner, my partner who I have now. They become, make my kids became more independent. Uh, we started going out. Our social life was more around, you know, other couples and other people who were drinkers, not just couples, actually, just people around our age. Um, Um, But different things happened. Like, you know, I had a stressful job. I worked in corporate communications then. Um, The stresses of having teenagers, that's just another life stage and another stress, you know. And so um, alcohol then became the fun, you know, letting off steam and having fun on the weekend and, and going out with people. But also the Friday night, even if you weren't going out, it's just like, oh, I'll, I'll, um, I'll have a drink. So to me, and again, going back to everything, it's this idea of taking the edge off. So alcohol had always been taking the edge off. Um, So then I, um, when I, I didn't, still didn't think of it as an issue because everybody drinks the same way. You know, that's the way everyone around, not everyone, but lots of people around me drank. And it wasn't seen as a, it was always, you know, you've got the government guidelines and I don't know what they are there, but here it's, you know, um, uh, 10 standard drinks in a week and it's four in one go, as in one drinking session. Mm. And those standard drinks are very small. Um, and, you know, the joke used to be who drinks like that, you know, there's uh, in terms of there's a wide spectrum of people in your life who drink and some people are, you know, no 
uh, don't drink at all, but they were very rare in my life. And even the people who rarely drank were people who actually didn't like the taste of it, but would drink just for the sake of being part of the group. So I've got a few friends who are like that, who will drink really sickly sweet things because they just feel that they don't want to be left out. Everybody else was on that other part of the spectrum that we, we've all been on. So it wasn't unusual. I didn't see it as being an issue um, until it kind of was when I realised, and I think the, the two things that really, well, it wasn't actually COVID, but the, the, that was my second one. The first time I gave up, I started worrying because I was worrying about the impact it was having on my health and um, my physical health. And I was, I was such a fit and healthy person. Like I got into running, I was doing half marathons, I was doing, you know, um, not at high level by any means, but I was, I, I kept fit and I trained and I, that, you know, I liked doing that. But so I had this real discipline with work and, and my home life and, and my, um, you know, exercise and all that sort of stuff. And drinking was kind of my, again, letting off that steam. It was like, you know, everything's so, um, not rigid, but you're so disciplined in your life. You've got to have that, that valve, that mm. you, the release valve. And, and drinking was that. Um, and I was like, well, how can I be so disciplined? And then when I drink, I just um, drink too much. And I started getting blackouts. And I didn't even know they were called blackouts at the time. I just would go, oh, God, I can't remember um, that last part of the night. I can't remember getting home. I can't remember that cab ride home or whatever. I can't remember that conversation. That scared me. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've never had this before, you know. And um, so I gave up about six years ago for six months and, um, and it was surprisingly easy. I had read a lot of things, but it, the difference then was that it was a behaviour change. So, again, that discipline, it was like I'm not drinking. Um, it's for health reasons, which it was. And, but it was also because I was scared. Uh, it scared the shit out of me, basically, the way that I was drinking because I was thinking having blackouts, not being able to remember things, waking up at three o'clock in the morning all the time, feeling, you know, I knew my energy levels weren't what they should be. I didn't drink every night. So I knew the nights that I didn't drink, I would be all right. And the weekends would be big drinking times. And so I knew, I, you know, you know. And I was like, oh, God, what do, um... so I gave up for six months, but I didn't do the mindset work. And that was the key. That was, that was the difference between this time and that time. So I did the whole, well, you know what, I wasn't that bad. This is ridiculous. Don't have a problem. Didn't hit rock bottom. Everybody, you know, all those things. And it's the fading effect bias. You guys know, you know, what that's like. It's, God, I'm, I'm overreacting. And everybody around me was like, wow, that's, that's drastic. I'm like, yeah, you know what, it is. Um, so I it's like, and also I've learnt I've learned my lesson, you know, it was kind of like I'd given myself a punishment. You've learned your lesson. Let's get back out there and, and you can only, you know, have a couple of drinks and you'll be right. Within 
we, we went away for a week and, um, and I, I was changing jobs and actually changing states um, because I had moved away for work and I was moving back to my home city and, um, and we took a week's break. By the end of that week, I was drinking exactly the same as I had before and I was getting to the point we were doing this beautiful road trip um, along the Great Ocean Road, um, which is a lovely part of Australia. It's, it's just really beautiful. And we'd be take, doing all these drives and everything. And I'd be thinking again, oh, you know, I hope where we stop at lunch, I can have some wine. I hope, you know, we're driving back. I'm going, well, what time are we going to get home? Because I really, you know, have we got enough yeah. wine there? And I was like, oh, my God, it's, it's taking up my mental energy again, you know. And so then it took me another four years, I think, until I found this naked mind and went through the proper process of going, what am I making drinking mean? Or what does drinking mean to me? And that flipping the thoughts and beliefs I had around it, particularly that idea around um, alcohol helps me de-stress, helps me relax, takes the edge off. They were my big things. And it had been and again, as I say, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I've done all the work to, to figure it out, what, what, what made it different. And, um, and that working on those pieces was really key to changing the way I drink. And so it's been 18 months now and I just, it doesn't. So even those questions when people say to me, but oh, I didn't know you were that bad or, um, you know, isn't that drastic? You're like, no, because I feel so much better. And people see it. I say, it's a wrong question to ask. Um, was it bad enough? Or how much did you drink? Because a lot of people ask that question. How much did you drink? As if there is some magic number that mm. if you're above that, then you should be giving up. And I, I try not to, I say to people, it really doesn't matter because it's different for for different people it doesn't even matter if you drink every day I didn't drink every night you know different people drink in different ways the question isn't have I hit rock bottom or am I an alcoholic the question is is this serving me well and the answer to that was no mm -hmm. and and I knew that I just had to do the work on well how do I live in the world that is so booze soaked and so you know um so tied up with booze being an integral part of so many things that was the mindset work I needed to do and and again this naked mind was you know I, I know we talk, talk like it is a cult but it is kind of that you know it, it stripped away all of the stuff and I saw it in that new light and I was like yeah I, I'm I'm drinking the lemonade there so um yeah, yeah literally and figuratively I guess so mm. yeah <laughs> there's just su such a big difference between the question as you say is is this bad enough to is this good enough yes. and when when we can like I I would have never believed when I was in the thick of drinking either in my 20s or my 30s you know when, so in my 20s it was all about fun and letting loose and in my uh, parenting years it was like you for stress release for it was like a ripcord for the parachute yes. to escape off out into um, you know relaxation and being away from the the monotony and the uh, you know the, just the difficulty of, of life when you're in the thick of it all um, I, I would have never ever believed that 
a life without alcohol was a better one. It's like, well, you, you know, you, you only stop if it gets like really, really, really bad. And then who are you? Because, well, you know, you've got nothing to look forward to then, have you? <laughs> I know. And, and, well, and this is all, yeah, it's all predicated off the back of every time I, I try to you know, drink within the guidelines or oh, I need to have a few days off. I was absolutely bloody miserable. Uh, but I, I, I just didn't understand. I, I didn't have the knowledge of what was going on in terms of how alcohol worked with the brain and body. And so the, the opening for me with this naked mind, the, the insight came from looking at this thing in a very, very different way, understanding how it worked and being able to, in an instant, change that belief because of new information and then that feels really different. So then I had a whole bunch of questions around, well, how, how do you live alcohol for it? How do you socialize? But it wasn't, it wasn't full of fear. It was more excitement and potential and possibility. And then the further that you edge down that road, you then start to realize like it's a complete life upgrade. Who knew? It's like the best kept bloody secret. And so that that question going right back to the it, mm-hmm. it's not like for anybody listening to this, don't ask yourself, like, is it bad enough? It's like, is it good enough? Mm. And I think that's part of the reason I'm doing what I'm doing now. So giving up, and I don't like to use the word giving up, I, I like to talk about it as choosing. And that goes back to, are you asking the right question? Is it good enough? So it's choosing an alcohol-free lifestyle. And I think even language and language is part of you know, my, my um, what I love anyway, but part of my career. But I think language is so important. And so I didn't feel the second time around like I was giving up. I was choosing this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And you're choosing to up-level, aren't you? And it's, um, and that's so important. But I, and, and the part of the reason that I wanted to do this, go into coaching, was because I wanted to change that conversation because I was just so it really felt to me like a punishment. And I kept saying to myself, if you can't moderate, because I spent years trying to moderate, that was the holy grail for me, moderation. I've heard you talk about this before, Ellie too. It wasn't until I realised why moderation was so difficult for me because Mm. I was like, and and that's why I go back to the running thing, you know, I I could be so disciplined. I could follow a plan, um, to you know because if you run at distance or if you do any sort of training you follow a plan and you get to you know your goal and so I've always been that sort of goal-driven person yet with drinking it just didn't work the same way and I was like what is wrong with me why am I so weak-willed and and you do so you you internalize it you you give yourself all these names about you're weak-willed you can't do it you can't handle this you know Um, other people can do this what's wrong with you and then realizing this is why moderation is difficult. It's not nothing to do with you being weak-willed or it, it's what alcohol does and it does it to everybody. So <clears throat> that was a real, oh, oh, it, it's kind of a, I don't know. It, it's, I, I talk about it in terms of, you know, the Wizard of Oz and you're pulling back that curtain and going, oh, it's just this little old man on you know panel or whatever. It's kind of like, oh, that was all bullshit that I was saying to myself. You know, it's all a lie or, or not a lie. It's just what I believe. And yeah. so I, I, 
I kept talking to myself like a child. If you don't behave, you're going to have to give this up. I'm going to have to, you know, it was almost like I'm going to have to take this treat from you. And then when the treat was taken away, when I decided to take the treat away, by then I had had read This Naked Mind, which was the reason I gave up the second time around. I... um, I didn't see it as taking away a treat. I saw it as this is what I'm trying to do for my life and my well-being, mm-hmm. and it is mm-hmm. a um, it's a choice. It's a healthy yeah. choice, and and it was so empowering. Mm-hmm. I still had to get through all that social stuff, you know, worried about what people were saying. So I wasn't worried about giving uh, or stopping drinking. I was more worried about how do I live in this world yeah. um, with that and the, the societal pressures on it, and mm-hmm. I'm. You know, I was in my early 50s. I'm saying, you know, 53 now. Um, when I get, when I, I should, I've got to stop saying give, gave up because I just kept saying, I don't say give up, but I'm, I'm said about three or four times now. Um, I'm thinking, for God's sake, I'm, you know, in my early 50s, who cares, you know, but it was, um, yeah. Yeah, the, um, the, there's a process of relearning for sure. Like it's like almost like going back to the beginning again, starting again and learning how to be an adult, <laughs> a fully functioning exactly. adult in a different way. But that the empowerment and the the liberation, it's it gives you the the faith and the confidence to go on. So I, I distinctly remember that feeling of when when I thought the thought. I don't have to do this anymore. Like I get to not drink instead of, you know, like the, the mindset of deprivation. It's, it, it's so different. Absolutely. That freedom. Yeah. Mm. So true. All I kept like all the way through your story, Rachel, I kept hearing it's really interesting to me that um, when we first try and stop drinking or choose differently or whatever, we, we, we can only deal with what we can see. And what we can see is the behavior in front of our eyes. We can see that we can see posters that say uh, moderate. We can see this is your weekly allowance. We can see all these numbers and statistics and this behavior. And it's like the pointy tip of the iceberg and we can see our thoughts around it. So we start, we start doing what we know, which is we, we try and solve it at the same level. So we have this thought around drinking and we tell ourselves off, like you said, and we like, you know, almost like we sort of getting more and more annoyed at ourselves. And then we don't, so we beat ourselves up about it. And, and, and it's not until you actually realize that you've been looking in the wrong place, that yes. upstream of the behavior is a whole load of stuff that is not as scary or for, for one, some of it, we don't know it's there or, or we're scared to look there. But the moment we do, the moment we find a, a different platform perspective, which might be this naked mind, it might be meeting a coach, it might be reading a book, it, we get outside ourselves, we get out of our, in our own internal biases for just long enough to be able to see that this isn't about what I can see. This is about what I can't see. Like the world just starts to kind of magically change in front of our eyes. And these things you said, I love it because I've said these things before about my journey, like, you know, the amount we were drinking when I was traveling your neck of the woods. It's funny. Cause I, I landed in Sydney when I was like 23 and had two years out your way. Same thing. You know, I, I was drinking like a crazy person, but it didn't occur to me because everyone was doing it. And it, I don't know, it just, at that point, there wasn't this, Oh, you're drinking too much. It was just, yeah. you know, and then looping back around, I think it's really important. We talk openly about, because this, how bad does it get that metric of by what you can see, that's a bullshit metric. It's about yeah. how you feel. It's the energy inside because it doesn't matter whether someone's drinking 
15 pints or one if they're feel trapped and it's not good enough and you know they know that life could be better that's the metric it's it's a it's an it's almost like an invisible scale that we need to be tuning into not not what what we can see um i just loved you sharing all that i thought it was really powerful and i think sometimes we're so outwardly focused in terms of you know what what is the measure what's the what's the rock bottom that i have to suffer mm. before i do this or what's the you know arbitrary number of drinks i mean you've got the government guidelines but everyone you know goes well that that's not a thing yeah. it is a thing obviously but that that's not you know feasible so what is the thing and so you can pair yourself against everybody else usually if you drink a bit you hang around people who drink a bit so everybody's the same so well that's okay um and so it's all these external measures but you're right sam it's like I'm wake. I'm the one waking up at 3am in the morning I'm the one and and um one of the reasons that was a trigger was perimenopause and sort of you get all the hormonal stuff going on so my body was out of whack anyway I was like oh gosh you know I'm dealing with this but um and I I realized you know hot flushes and all those sorts of things were just being exacerbated by um by alcohol and again if I had flipped it and gone why exactly am I doing this you know and asking that question like is this really? And I, and I talk about it now when I'm coaching and I'm like, you know, if you were eating um, broccoli and broccoli, you really, I, I actually equate it to mangoes because I love mangoes. Um, and um, if you were eating something you really loved, but it was making you wake at three o'clock in the morning. It was giving, making your hot flushes worse. It was making you feel sick the next day, like, you know, sick in the tummy mm. and that you're going to work and you're just feeling this low level energy. You're feeling, ugh, you're feeling just drab all the time. And you knew that it was because of the mangoes because on the days that you didn't have the mangoes, you'd be fine. You know what I mean? And you'd be like, I'm not going to freaking, I, I like them, but you know what I mean? I'm not going to, I'm just going to have plums or something, you know, and, yeah. which is kind of the thing I did. I went to alcohol-free drinks and, and chose other drinks. It's like, and, and it sounds ridiculous when you say it that way. Um, and people do it all the time, you know, when they realise they have a lactose intolerance or, you know, they need to go gluten-free or whatever. They, they realise they feel better and it's not an issue. Nobody that's an eyelid about that sort of thing and it's like I choose to do this and sometimes it's not a choice it is actually medically you have to do it but you know if you do it because it's a choice because that sort of food doesn't doesn't sit well with you and yet we have such a resistance to do that with alcohol and say you know what it's not serving me in any shape way or form you know physically or mentally because that's the other thing you know it, it starts to affect your moods and uh you know, I don't, thank God, have anxiety or depression, but definitely there were times I'd be waking in the middle of the night and getting anxious thoughts and feeling down the next day. And so that could easily, you know, you could easily get into a, a state where that's not affecting your mood level. And again, perimenopause, your mood levels are all over the shop with hormones. So, um yeah, so it is a, it's a mental health and a physical health, I think. It, it sure is. And this, I think the, the thing that's keeping people stuck is the, the misunderstandings around, you, know, you mentioned the, the societal beliefs and 
the, the deeper beliefs at the level of self of like, well, I, you know, I, as, as a single mum, I can't cope without this. This is the thing that's, you know, holding it all together. But the, the thing that is, is so important as, you know, we approach our late thirties and forties is, as you say, it's perimenopause. Like I, I knew absolutely shit all about it. And, oh, totally. um, you know, I'm, I'm right in the middle of this, uh, <laughs> this discovery of, uh, so I have like the uh, early ovarian insufficiency or whatever. So I'm effectively going through it all like as a, you know, early, but you know, it's, that's not a lucky thing to get early on. Is it, you know, that's, <laughs> No, but it, you know, the thing, the thing that I see so much in my coaching practice and in coaching groups of women is that they're, 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 those symptoms that you mentioned, like all of the, and they're so varied um, in, in perimenopause. There's so many things, things that you would never, ever think are related, but there are. And people kind of kidding themselves around like what's going on. The only way that you're ever going to get to a baseline so that you can try to understand your symptoms and treat them is by removing alcohol. Because as you rightly say, it exacerbates all of the symptoms. People don't necessarily put it down to, you know, put it in in, in its rightful place. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have had it, if I was still drinking now, like I dread to think I wouldn't have had a hope in health chance of working out what was going on. And even removing alcohol it's taken over two years to get like I'm I'm almost at the point where my treatment is in place so that I can just you know function like a I don't like using the word normal but function like a human being yeah because the 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 lack of hormones and particularly estrogen it has such a huge effect on so many things and on the way that you feel and and the mood stability thing or instability it's a huge thing and and people and a bit like with drinking people suffer in isolation oh this is just me you know i'm just you know we, uh, like rage is a is a big yeah. big thing and it there's so much shame attached to it be like oh you know i i should be in control i sh- you know I, I i shouldn't be feeling this way and it's entirely bloody normal and understandable because of what's going on but we haven't got a hope in hell's chance of understanding it if you're throwing you know gasoline on the fire yeah so it's exactly. it's it's such an important thing i think just particularly at this this sort of an age and the earlier that you can get clear about your symptoms the sooner you're going to feel better like you know, Sam unfortunately has had to be along the, for much of my hormonal ride, and so he's like he's learning all about this. I've learned a lot. <laughs> oh, that's good. And, you and can write the not, book now. Yeah, and, and being on the end of you know me in some states and tears and 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 it's uh, you know it 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 doesn't need to be that way, yes. but you 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 have to you have to find your baseline. Like you can't, you can't start treating yourself until you know what you're working with. And you just, you can't know what you're working with until you've got all of the other shit out of the way. Yeah. And people don't make the connection even. So I've got friends who aren't worried about their drinking, but when I've talked about it in terms of perimenopause and, you know, the hot flush. So I don't actually get, and, and 
it's hard you know I'm I don't have a medical background so I'm not going to pretend that the 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 two are related I've done enough research to know that Mm. things like hot flushes and alcohol uh or alcohol exacerbates your hot flushes because you're trying to regulate your body temperature and alcohol um processing alcohol heats up your body so you know you bring those two together and of course it's not going to help your hot flushes so um I've talked to friends who who don't necessarily worry about their alcohol but have taken a break to see if that will um help their menopause symptoms Mm. and they're like Mm. oh my gosh it really has helped it's not the the magic cure it's not the silver bullet it's not going to make everything go away although I don't have hot flushes anymore I have other symptoms but um all the other symptoms have really um, lessened quite considerably and I just don't get hot flushes. I'm madly touching wood because the universe is going to send me hot flushes tomorrow <laughs> or something and go, no, no, no. But, you know, just and, – and that's just, you know, the, the, the evidence base with myself and, you know, other friends who are going and come back and go – oh my gosh, I, I didn't even connect the two, you know, that didn't have an issue with alcohol, but we're like, oh my gosh, this is so much better without it. Mm. Um, and so they haven't necessarily given up, but they've cut back because of it. So, um, but you're right, you know, we, we don't talk about these things because there's other bigger players at play who, who, I'm not getting into conspiracy theories or anything, but there's a lot of money behind alcohol and marketing alcohol mm. and, you know, taxes go to the government and whatever. So so we hear about all the, the health issues with it. We, we hear that all the time, um, but we choose to ignore it. And we are given so many powerful messages talking about how great it is. So it that's hard to, to fight against that almost. Mm. We still yeah. live in a world where it's advertised. It's wacky. If you step, if you actually step out there, the box and think about it for a minute, it's, it's madness. There. And there will come a time where it will be very, very apparent to us how crazy it is. Yeah. Like, like in the way that it's like, it's mad to me that when I first started uni, you could sit in a room and smoke inside. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? That's mad. Yeah. Um, That's and we will, the time will come where we'll see this in the same light. I have no yeah. doubt. I agree. And it's when you, um, choose um not to drink that you see it um you you see that it's everywhere you go to buy a birthday card for somebody unless they're six years old it's you know a beer tankard or you know champagne glasses you know even when I say happy birthday to people it's the champagne emojis I don't do that anymore but you know everybody's doing the champagne um clink glasses um it's let's catch up for a drink after work and a drink doesn't have to be an alcoholic drink of course but you know it's um you you see movies and tv and um you know it's just such a um just there it's it's Mm. insidious um yeah that that's the thing with the you know the whole like you know you say about conspiracy theories and it's this is the issue with it it's not that there's like one person like five evil people in a room plotting and planning it's more that the thing itself has become like an all it's like its own organism now that grows and it's feeding on itself because companies require you know profit so the alcohol companies are seeing they don't see people they see statistics they're always needing a new market to go into you've got and so these things they just start to grow and then you know you've got lobbyists working in there like it's crazy the biggest anti um cannabis lobby is the alcohol lobby because they're worried about the market share they're going to rip from them so everything's at war with each other so it's not so like if you look at it from the bigger picture 
it's it's so it's everywhere so the only way that you're really going to see it is to educate yourself <laughs> is to get to the truth and hold on to it and we do the marketing for them too yeah. you know you, i go back on my facebook scroll and you get facebook memories and there'll be you know a photo of um, me on holidays with a cocktail glass there um relaxing you know friday night big glass of red or big glass of white or whatever and um going back to that idea of, of mummy culture i wasn't that wasn't my experience when my kids were young it was more when they were teenagers that my drinking ramped up a bit but i would you know, bet a million dollars that if I was around, if my had my kids in this day and age with social media and the mummy culture sort of idea, because we're spreading that message to us uh, to each other. You know, so yes, we've got you know the the, the big bucks of big alcohol, but it's also amongst ourselves we're saying this is how you know you unwind and and back to Facebook again had a you know huge week blah 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 all the comments you know you deserve a wine love you know um have a cold one you know all those sorts of things and we we just I've done it you don't think it's it's not a bad thing that's that's just the way you take the edge off yeah and the um the most offensive thing we can do to big alcohol is to share a story of choosing to not drink for example, where there wasn't a Hollywood rock bottom or where yeah. we were drinking within their guidelines or we were because it because it it offends them because they're like, no, 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 no. Now you don't fit in the us and them box. Now you yes. don't fit in these labels. And mm. I would encourage people when the time is right. You know, it's hard. We I think very often in me, I noticed early in my journey, I would actually change things to fit people's model of what was going on because it was easier these days I just tell the truth and if it offends someone that's not my shit all I do is tell them what happened um and that's up to them I deliver my truth they receive it in the way that they do and you know when we're strong enough to do that there's so much damn power in that because you know we we people need to hear this stuff mm. because exactly like you say on on your website and everything Rachel like you you don't have to hit a rock bottom, you know, you, you don't have to be in the, the throes of the, all that stuff. It, it doesn't have to look like that. And I think the more that stories like that get out there, because we need all the stories, we need people's different, you know, people struggle with alcohol in different ways and we need to hear all of the stories, but um, it's, I, I don't know if this is an Oprah quote, but I'm going to say it is something that Oprah would say, you can't be what you can't see. So to yeah. me, it was just, you know, if you were an alcoholic, basically, and I know there's no such thing as an alcoholic, we talk about alcohol use disorder now, but that's the, you know, in, in layman's terms, that's what we think of it. And so you've got this, we each have our own perception of what that looks like. That certainly wasn't what I was. So so that, that that wasn't a choice then, you know, and until I started hearing other people's stories, and that was so helpful for me. So reading Annie's book, you know, This Naked Mind at the beginning was that mindset shift, but also seeing other people having these fantastic lives and saying exactly what you two are saying is holy crap, life is better without it. There is more to life. There is much more. I get more done. I, I got, get more joy. I, uh, my relationships are deeper and stronger mm. and all these things. And if people hear that message um, from people who look like they did in terms of their drinking, they go, oh, my gosh, this is an option. It wasn't even an option for me, you know. And, and to think that that's 
you feel almost hoodwinked that you didn't yeah. even consider that that was an option, you know? Yeah. 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 And it's, a, and, and what an option it is. Mm-hmm. So uh, just to hook it back into the perimenopausal stuff, you don't have to look too far when you're educating yourself on that to, to find out, you know, what, what, are, what are the things that are going to um, help me improve my, uh, my situation, my symptoms, my health through this transition, because you, you're going through it one way or another. Books, uh, there's a wonderful lady in the UK called Dr. Louise Newson. She's got a wonderful following and lots of resources. You don't have to go too far and you'll stumble upon reducing your alcohol intake but of course the the difficulty is that it's like that's the inconvenient truth and nobody wants to reduce their alcohol intake because they don't believe that life's going to be um better without it it's you know it it just feels too too uncomfortable so Mm. the kind of work that you're doing and the work that I'm doing and all of the other women that are, are around about you know this age or have some experience of the transition it's 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 so important because it's it is totally changing the narrative so when somebody reads oh shit i need to reduce my alcohol intake it's not a oh god this is you know something awful that's being put upon me or something unfeasible it's like Mm. wow you know this is an opening to a new way of living Mm. It's yeah. not a fate worse than death. It is actually yeah. something that you're going to actually reap all these other rewards. And I think when people see that, you know, in terms of benefits rather than a, that punishment idea, um, I think more people would come on board because they're like, oh, okay, you can do that and you can enjoy life and you can, you know. So it, the discussion is so important. And in every realm, right? So whether you're talking about, you know, whether you're in corporate, like you're actually going to get an edge, like you're going to actually have an edge against a lot of other people. Like it's not a disadvantage done like with the right way of looking at it. It's, it's a massive advantage, right? And, yeah. you know, with with anxiety, with any kind of depression, with any kind of, you know, in sport, for example, sport culture, you go and get battered after, like you want to be really, really good at sport. Like this is going to increase. So it's this lesson is it morphs into every realm, and it and it's um it's a wonderful thing to know exactly like you two have just so beautifully said that um this isn't just like a choice this is an this is an amazing choice which is way better than the the choice that you haven't really been making the one that's been forced on you has been pushed on you for the longest time mm, mm, really well, hey rachel look amazing really really lovely to hear that and um i'm so happy that you and i'm sure i can speak for ellie as well we're both so happy that you found the place that you're in and you're now using this as a superpower to uh to help set people free so tell us a bit about um where we where people can find you you know the website your coaching give us give us all that cool stuff Cool. Um, so my business is Inspired to Change. Um, and so the website is inspiredtochange.com.au. I'm based in Australia. Um, and I've, uh, I'm on Instagram as well. So Inspired to Change AUS um, and the underscores between the words. Um, but also, so I, I mainly do one-on-one coaching. I love the one-on-one coaching and really delving into um, people's beliefs and having those conversations and, and having a safe 
place for people to land because often this piece around you know um, sharing your story and there's often shame around that and people feel that they're the only one going through it and so um, being that safe place to land and, and to discuss it but also to get the strategies and tactics to learn how um, mm. to to go forward in life I, I love doing that um, but I've also um, in the process of completing an online module modular course that people cool. can do that is um, uh, they can get some coaching with that but do a self-paced course um, and also I'm following in your footsteps both of you in um, the live alcohol experiment so I'm coaching oh, yeah. in the May live alcohol I meant to congratulate you at the very beginning I had that because I saw that and I was like well that's so cool you're gonna have so much fun in there Good that's epic it. Yes, I yes, I've um, been in that group as a mentor um, for quite a few of the the times, and it's such a great supportive group. Um, the coaches are always brilliant. Um, you guys have been amazing. Um, the mentors in there are great, but it, the other participants as well. So it's mm. just such a lovely um, group of people, and I, I've I think. I've um, completed four as a mentor and um, it's just a, a brilliant um, space to be in and um, you can see people come in a bit hesitant to share and, and then they know that it is that safe space and um, and even though it's online that community is so important I think community I've found community so important in my I won't say journey in in the way that I've gone through this and um so I'm I'm so glad that there's stuff like that out there for people because I think it's so important it's a it's a life-changing program as somebody that's been through it as a participant as well as a coach in it a number of times now and it's a it's a really fun thing to do so congratulations on that enjoy that yeah. and uh, we'll make sure to drop a link so that people can join the May. Uh, live alcohol experiment uh, and see Rachel in there doing her coaching. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been awesome. Yeah. Thank you to you both. It's been great. Yeah. And I congratulations on the podcast too. I love it. I listen to it every week and um, you have some awesome um, chats and um, some awesome guests. So yeah, it's great. Oh, thanks pal. It means a lot to hear that. Thanks so much. You're doing a lot of good in the world. Cool. Right. I'm going to hit that button. So thank you for coming on, Rachel. If you're listening to this, please go and make sure that you you check out Rachel's resources if you feel called to. They are all going to be in the show notes and uh, what an important discussion. Okay, as I say, if you want to come and find out about the PNS world and all the amazing stuff that's going on for us, then come and find us in the community. Come and join the waitlist. Come and find us on Instagram now as well. You can find us at Present and Sober Podcast. Um, we've tried to keep it simple. <laughs> um, awesome. Have an awesome week and... Uh, See you next Tuesday.